0: You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Growing up with a love for sports and the outdoors... It was a trip to the local climbing gym at the age of 12 that sparked Tom O'Halloran's fascination and imagination into the world of rock climbing. Moving to the Blue Mountains in 2011, the epicentre of Australian rock climbing, Tom was able to immerse himself into his craft. The shift to the mountain's life further stimulated the love of climbing and appreciation for the great outdoors, whilst he juggled work, family and fine-tuning his skills. With the inclusion of climbing into the Tokyo Olympics, Tom, along with many others, was set to contest qualification for the Australian team in March. The postponement of the Games, whilst hard to take, has not deterred Tom's vision to represent his country, which is a reflection of his positive outlook on life. Tom joins us virtually for the latest edition of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Tom, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's um, yeah, great to have a little
0: catch up. Tom, you shared with me that one of the successes in your life um, has been deciding to make happiness the central part of your life and trying to live truthfully, which I think is a great philosophy and, and approach to life.
1: How long have you kind of had that mentality... I don't know. I guess it's one of those things that's like an idea there that sits around when you're young is, you know, you always want to be happy and chase being happy, I guess. Um, and when you're young, that's a, a short term kind of like, Oh, you know, I want a biscuit or I want to go play rather than clean my room. And I guess as you grow older, you kind of get some further perspective and, and work out that, that happy happiness is, um, more of a long-term kind of earned thing and sometimes you need to kind of suffer through a little bit of um, discomfort to reach a a ultimate end point of happiness um so yeah i guess it's kind of constantly evolving and and the way you go about it and uh the way that we set up our life myself my partner and my daughter um it's it's a constantly evolving thing but um yeah I, I guess you just try and do your best to work out you know what do we want our life to look like you know how do we, how do we want to live our life and um, what are the core values that we have and um, one of them is yeah adventure and, and being happy and, and living in a kind of truthful way, um, as uncomfortable as it can be sometimes but yeah
0: I've heard a few few theories that the key to happiness isn't doing. Big happy events. It's about having happiness as a, as a frequency, as a regular part of of your day. Do you find that's the case? That it's not about just doing these huge things to bring happiness, but it's about building it into your day to day routine.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. it's um. There's always got to be a couple of things there for me that um that make the day feel a little bit better. And and even just one of those things is as simple as just being the first one up out of bed at home and just having five minutes of just sitting there at the kitchen table and drinking my coffee and just chilling out before the day kicks off and i find that that's a a really calming way for me to kick off the day and it feels like i'm starting from the front foot and then um, obviously being a rock climber doing things that connect to rock climbing um, as a family so um, whether that's having a little training session together or um, the last few nights we've been doing some yoga together which has been fun or just going out for a bush walk or something like that like it just um, just having those little things there as well and yeah looking at moving forward and constantly looking for how we can um, yeah just keep things fun and, and moving in the direction that we want our life to be moving in.
0: It's a great perspective Tom and, and nowadays you are living in, in Blackheath in the Blue Mountains but you grew up in, in Brisbane in Queensland what, what was your childhood like growing up
1: It was awesome. Yeah, I had a really, really great childhood. Uh, Always super active. I did every single different sport. And um, yeah, my parents were driving me all over Southeast Queensland just every weekend doing stuff. It was, you know, swimming, cricket, soccer, footy, um, basketball, volleyball was in there, track and field, cross country. Like, yeah, we we just did everything. And um, I was always an active kind of kid and um yeah there was just there was always something going on and I really enjoyed that and when my parents kind of got me into climbing I think they saw it as a safer option than me um we had a big mango tree in the backyard and I'd swing around in that and try and mimic Tarzan Um, (laughs) and you know doing traversing around the house just holding onto the windowsills and the the bars on the on the windows and the gutter and all sorts of stuff and I think mum and dad just thought oh gosh maybe he's gonna hurt himself one day we should throw some safety into this so um yeah they joined me up to the climbing gym in Brisbane when it opened up in 2004 so I was 12 years old then
0: you've mentioned a few times uh, there your family and your parents what role did your family have and what influence did they have on your upbringing
1: yeah mum and dad were Super supportive of everything that I wanted to do, Um, and never really felt like they were holding me back from, you know, doing anything that I wanted to do. And yeah, it's one of those things that you just kind of take for granted when you're a little kid. You just say, "Oh, I want to do this," and they're like, "Yeah, okay, cool, let's go give that a go." But now I see, you know, as you become a parent yourself, it's there's so much going on in life, and you know, just because you're a parent doesn't mean that you don't have your own passions and And things that you want to do so um yeah i'm super grateful for my parents for for letting me kind of just have a crack at basically anything and that's certainly something that i want to bring into my parenting um is just giving my daughter as much um as much opportunity as she likes to to really have a go at just about anything that she wants to do so yeah because i think there's so much learning that we get to do in those spaces, you know, whether it's sport or, um, you know, playing music or any of those types of things like there's, is more than just learning an instrument, but it's, it's the dedication and, a, um, in a way that, you know, kind of, yeah, there's lessons to be learned basically in everything. So yeah, it's not just the, the moment there.
0: I wonder as well as society broadly speaking that, we've lost that element of of play and freedom and adventure a little bit and I'm keen to ask you Tom growing up for you outside of the structured sport and i guess school you know did you spend your afternoons running around finding activities making activities was that, that was there that element of freedom in your childhood
1: yeah completely yep we um we lived next to this kind of bush reserve it was about a 5 minute bike ride and there was yeah, we'd set up mountain bike jumps and little bush forts next to the creek and all sorts of different things. And like, we were just always there. And if we weren't there, we were playing cricket in the backyard. If it was cricket season or we'd be playing footy, if it was footy season. Um, Yeah. It was just like always doing something, always running around the streets and um, with my friends and yeah, it was, um, there's a lot. A lot of different things, and that was fun. And I guess you kind of, at twelve years old or whatever, you get to feel like a bit of a grown up when you're given those responsibilities as well. So yeah, it was really fun.
0: And I think I think you're right. You you have to overcome adversity yourself. You know, if if you're out riding your bike and you come off the bike, it's you that's got got to pick yourself up. Your parents aren't there for you, so. Yeah, I think that's certainly something that we as society and parents and future parents can all learn from is just ensuring we instill that sense of, um, yeah, exploration in that next generation.
1: Yeah, completely. Yep. Yeah, because you do learn a lot uh, when you're out there by yourself or, you know, with your mates. It's, yeah, if you come and guts are on your bike, well, you've you got to try and work that out and work out why it happened and, um, yeah, get yourself home <laughs> basically. So... Yeah, we're always um, always learning how to not stuff it up as hard and, um, yeah, patch yourself up and r- rinse your bloody arm off in the creek and <laughs> keep on going and, yeah, learning that you probably do need to take a jumper sometimes and a bottle of water and <laughs> those sorts of things.
0: Tom, your introduction to rock climbing, as you touched on, was, was at the age of 12 um, at the local climbing gym. What was that first experience and introduction to rock climbing like
1: for you? It was pretty strange actually. Um, in, in the sense that like I'd always done all sorts of different sports and I absolutely loved it and always just, you know, moving around and being active was just how I felt like me. And then going into the climbing gym and climbing was like, wow. Like this has just clicked more than anything ever has. Like it just felt natural and like what I wanted to be doing. So that was kind of cool. Um, and it just, yeah, there was just a really nice, it was just in a kids club thing. The under 12s program. Um, there's a nice group of kids that were a part of it and, um, some of the coaches and stuff are still friends of mine to this day. And um, yeah, it just it just clicked and it was awesome. And it's just like, wow. Yeah, this is kind of, I don't know if it was like, this is what I want to do because I don't know if I had that perspective at that point, but it just, it felt awesome. And you know, it was just kind of in the here and now and I, I wasn't really looking to continue doing it um but it was like wow this is great this is what i want to do and this is you know totally um totally just driven to to be there and do it in that moment and i just couldn't wait for the following saturday to go again and the following saturday and the following saturday
0: do you think we with rock climbing was it whilst you've got the support of coaches and friends there, do you think part of it's that intrinsic motivation that it's, it's me versus the wall that I need to get from top to bottom? Is that what kind of drew you in? That It is very much a, about self-discipline and, and challenging yourself.
1: Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It, it um, there was, there's something about, I guess, being there and, and trying to work it out and, um, Yeah, I guess that there's, um, you know, if you're in a team sport or, um, I absolutely loved team sports. Um, but that there's something about that, like you're against kind of yourself and an inanimate, um, object or, or whatever, um, obstacle when you're climbing, like there's, it's just you and you need to get better. And yeah, There's something kind of fun and satisfying in that, and you can sit there and work it out and work out what's the best approach and and like yeah, it's um it's hard to articulate really. I think that's sort of the million dollar question in climbing is you know why do you love it and it's kind of hard because it just it does so many different things and depending on the day you know you love it for different reasons. But um, yeah, it it just it felt natural for me at the time in in whatever way that is.
0: And the fun and satisfaction you you touched on and being in the moment, is that something that you had at the age of 12 that you've been, or still exists to this day with your climbing, that that's still a a key part of it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like it it can, um, you know, coming up to big competitions or, um, you know, you're trying a, a project that you've been trying to complete, um, that's, you know, an outdoor climb that you're trying to do. Um, sometimes there's a bit of pressure that can creep in and you can feel all a bit overwhelming and a bit hard. And, you know, you just want to kind of shy away from that feeling of, um, uncomfortable sort of stuff. Um, but ultimately that's kind of what keeps you coming back as well, because it's, it's motivating to try and push through those feelings and, you know, rise up and, and take on that challenge and yeah you you just always want to be kind of pushing yourself in a way um but then on the other side of it it's just awesome to go out you know with a friend and with you know my partner Amanda and just go out and in, enjoy nature in such a kind of novel and adventurous way like there's something pretty cool about just hanging off the side of the cliff with your partner and you know there's no one else for for miles and it's just you two hanging there just working your way up the side of a cliff.
0: I might describe that a bit more like terrifying personally. But <laughs> <laughs> um, for for you as well through the high school years, what role did climbing play for you?
1: Um I think the the climbing was quite good. Um like I still did a lot of school sport. Uh, but I think there's there was something about the climbing side of things that most of my friends were much older than me in the climbing scene and so they'd kind of gone through all that partying and you know getting up to nuisance kind of phase and I often thank climbing that it got me through that and I didn't you know go into the rat bag phase which I very easily could have gone into um, so yeah it just gave me this sort of um, I don't know perspective on. On what I guess a, a fulfilling life is, because that's that was what was fulfilling me. I didn't need to go and seek it out at a party on a Friday night or anything like that. Um, yeah, I, I guess that was probably something that climbing taught me early on was just, you know, the people in it—they're not rat bags You know, that it's a very dangerous sport if it's done incorrectly, uh, if you don't take the necessary precautions so the the crazy people don't hang out there and if they are there they get kind of weeded out pretty quickly by the community and so you just have a really positive group of friends to be around and people that had a really good grip on life um so i think that that really helped shape me um into someone that i'm pretty proud of being um and yeah kept me kept me doing things that were healthy and and honest through those high school years. This is the Passion of
0: Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media.
1: For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday.
0: Tom, moving ahead to 2011, uh, you decided to pack your bags and move down south from Brisbane to the Blue Mountains. What was it that that drew you to the Blue Mountains?
1: Um, Well, yeah... been somewhere that had come on family holidays for a little while um doing the climbing trip there was the annual christmas new year's climbing trip down from brisbane with friends and family and then over the years you know you'd you'd come down every so often and it was always just like well those people that have been to the blue mountains know just how beautiful it is here and how relaxing and all that kind of stuff and it was always like man you know how lucky must you be to be able to live here that's incredible and it just never really struck me that it was something that I would ever do I just figured I'd stay in Brisbane and do something and then I went on um, a climbing trip to South Africa in was it probably July 2011 and met a couple of people that from Australia that lived in the Blue Mountains and another guy that was traveling around with his girlfriend uh and he was from australia as well and they're just like yeah you just pack your car up and just come down like just come down and hang out for a bit i was like wow yeah it kind of is that simple really like you just do it you know i had a a job and um could save up a bit of money and i was just living at my parents place at the time um so i just there there was no barriers really to setting that up. And I ended up meeting a couple of people that um, rented a room out to me um, in the blue mountains. And yeah, I just came down and there wasn't really any intention to really stay here long-term. I guess I kind of just thought it might be a bit of a, you know, longer holiday, you know, 12 months or something, find a little job at a, a local shop and do a bit of climbing and get my fix and then head back to Brisbane perhaps. But um, yeah just kind of ended up hanging out here for the next decade nearly um, yeah met my partner um, we bought a house and had a daughter and it just yeah just feels like home
0: you mentioned just before that UK you used to come to the Blue Mountains on on trips with your your friends and your family was was that driven by i guess your your passion for the climb or was climbing as a sport built into into your family's fabric
1: yeah my brother and i signed up to do a bit of climbing um when when we were 12 when the climbing gym opened and um dad decided that he'd kind of get into it as well he he'd done i think just a tiny little bit back in the 80s perhaps or early 90s Um, But nothing really much to call himself a climber. But he got into it as well. And then my brother dropped out, but my dad and I continued on doing it together. And it just became part of what we did as a family was coming down to the Blue Mountains and going on climbing trips. Um, And dad and I'd go out climbing on the weekends together. And um, yeah, I guess that was kind of a, a... pretty important thing as well for me was having that relationship with my dad uh it's probably pretty easy for people to to not have that relationship with their parents and yeah climbing I'm really thankful for giving me that time with my dad and it's a a really um yeah I think it was a really important thing to to develop those relationships and yeah became something that we have in common and um, it's still something that we, you know, talk about a lot to this day. And you know, he's come down on a couple of trips, and um, you know, we've just gone out for a climb together, and and that's pretty special. It's something that, yeah, you can't really put words on.
0: And that, uh, I guess, approach to fatherhood that, that your dad's implemented in terms of, of getting involved, but allowing the decision making to, you know to stay with. With the child, is that something that you want to try um adopting your lifestyle as well to, to to be involved to a degree, but still leave it up to the child to make those decisions?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. That's a terrifying thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that there's so much learning and growth and you get to feel like a big person. You know, when you're a little kid and you're being given the opportunity to go out and um, do those little bits and pieces, it, it makes you feel like a i grown up and you learn those responsibilities and how to look after yourself. And yeah, it's kind of terrifying, just pushing that boat out a little bit, but yeah, I think it's um, it's definitely something that I want to bring into the approach that we have to, to raising Audrey. I was chatting to a mate the other day actually, and his son is probably 14 and um, he, he and his son climb a lot together and they're both really quite good. And um, he said, oh, yeah, I, I could, had to go to work today. And um, Bodhi went out with a mate together and, you know, the kids are 15 or something. And He's like, oh, I'm absolutely terrified. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's the next step in them becoming their own identity rather than just, you know, something underneath their parents. It's like them developing this, you know, really true sense of themselves as an individual. And, and I think that, you know, probably a lot of the issues that go on these days with people feeling a bit, um, you know, not amazing about themselves is perhaps some of it stems from a, a lack of identity. And, yeah, I guess you really get a chance to, to have that in climbing. You know, it gives you the opportunity to have an identity. Um, and... Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty important thing.
0: I feel like that's the beauty of climbing and, and any kind of outdoor adventure is, one, there's that element of risk, which is incredibly humbling for a person, but something like climbing, you can look at a wall and whilst there's existing you know, tracks to the top, you, you still have that opportunity to create your own path. So it's kind of a metaphor for life being on that wall that yes, you can follow the footsteps of, of those before you, but you can also create your own path, right?
1: yeah a hundred percent yeah yeah it's um yeah as you say you know the the path is there but it's you know your own interpretation of how to navigate that and if you want to go out and get a little bit more kind of adventurous you can go and actually find your own new climb to to do and um show people you know that there's another way to get up the cliff or <laughs> you know whatever else um yeah, it's um I think that, that that inherent kind of danger that is there, like we were saying before, like it just it weeds out the crazy people and it gives um you know, you need to have your head firmly screwed on your shoulders to to be a long term part of the community and, and um it's a really great group of people that are in climbing and they've got a pretty good perspective on on life.
0: yeah Tom, despite your move to the Blue Mountains um at the start of last decade, um you continued to work as a rope access technician rigger. Um, and that took you all around Australia, wind turbines, coal mines, gold mines. What was that experience like for you? Um literally seeing all parts of the country?
1: Yeah, well that was you know, in, in the same way that climbing kind of teaches you a bit of perspective, I guess. Working in that heavy industry stuff does as well, like it's a pretty pretty extreme environment some of those places um, you know seeing seeing some pretty d- different parts of the world really, and how the world kind of works like there's there's a strange kind of feeling that you have about things when you're sat at the bottom of a mine pit that's you know several hundred meters deep and you're just looking up at this big scarred wall that we're just digging out and blowing up to to take all the resources out of. It's like, whoa, okay. Yeah, maybe there's some things that we can change in our lives to to um not have as big of impact. Um but you also, you know, working in those environments, there's some pretty crazy people that work out there. Uh there's some really nice people, but there's also some people that uh you know, let's just say I wouldn't want to hang out with them on the weekends. Uh, And, and working in those situations and dealing with those people have also given me a pretty good sense of myself as well. Like you got to find your own voice and, and stand up and go, look, no, this isn't safe. We're going to do it like this. Or, you know, this is how things are going to work out and how we're going to do things. Um, Yeah. It's, um, it's a pretty extreme kind of world out there in the in the west um on the, in the different mines and those sorts of places and yeah although I, I don't really want to go back there i'm pretty thankful for that opportunity it's a pretty pretty uh extreme thing to to go and be a part of really
0: and you mentioned the challenges of, of being there you know with people and the work but at the same time it was a sacrifice for you being there it's time away from the family how did you get through those long days um and that that time away from home
1: yeah it was always um it's always a little bit tricky saying goodbye uh when it was just my partner and i it was kind of okay like we could kind of continue chatting to each other on the phone and, and that sort of stuff after the day and that was okay but as soon as you start missing out on time with your daughter and you know I go away for you know a few weeks and in those early kind of months and years like they just do so much growing up in that time and each time I'd come back it would kind of it'd feel like I'd missed out on something a little bit more special than just general day-to-day life that my partner might have been up to and that really sucked so yeah we would try and catch up on FaceTime and that sort of thing and I'd even take away a few storybooks um, for Audrey and I'd, you know, if you're over in Western Australia, the time differences didn't really match up but I'd uh, make a video of myself reading her a bedtime story so that um, Amanda could play that for Audrey in the evening. Uh, so those little things were, were pretty good to, to have but yeah, in the end, it was just got a bit hard spending that time away. Uh, you do your best to to try and keep connected. But ultimately, I'm, I'm someone that enjoys being at home and, and having that time with my loved ones. So yeah, we just decided that kind of back to that thing that we started with, you know, making happiness, kind of the central point it was like, this isn't, you know, despite the money that, you know, you can make working in that industry. It wasn't making us happy and we'll take a financial sacrifice to be able to spend some quality time together because you you don't get to do that again you know you can earn another dollar but you don't get to have another day
0: yeah it's very true and i think as we chat tom during you know the covid-19 crisis that's something that i think's really resonated with a lot of people and i found it myself is we, we go back to realizing what's important in life and you know yes work's always going to be there but you can't beat those interactions with friends and family you can't beat that time immersing yourself in nature as well so whilst it is a tough time for a lot of people it's also probably allowed all of us to kind of realign why we do what we do which i think's
1: hugely important like you've mentioned there yeah completely it's um it's really easy to take that stuff for granted, hey? And I think many of us were until now and you actually go, wow. Really likes just bumping into people at the shops and giving them a hug. Like and it's just stuff that you didn't really realize was the case or even just the simple thing of just shaking someone's hand, like you know, the amount of elbow bumps that we've all been doing recently. It just kind of it feels like a bit of a bummer. And and it feels like you're just like, oh, this, you know, this, I guess you, you don't get to have those interactions that fill you up. You know, I'm someone that does like to keep to themselves a little bit, but I also really do enjoy that time with your friends and, and just hanging out and having a chat and yeah, shaking someone's hand and <laughs> giving them a hug and, and we've just missed out on that. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff that's come out of this COVID thing, but I think there's going to be a lot of positives as well. I think we're all going to get a newfound appreciation, and and we're going to, I think there's going to be a lot of people making some really nice, big positive changes in their lives.
0: More and more, kind of,
1: I guess, corporates
0: will, will realize what's important, and it's that time at home, like you mentioned, and yeah. Um, you know, losing the commute, maybe taking a bit of a pay cut, but realising what is important. Um, you know, the extra two, three hours a day you might have at home is absolute um, gold, really.
1: Yeah, completely. And and maybe that's part of it. You know, we're chatting on Zoom at the moment, and there's been a lot of people that have been starting to do the work meetings from home. And, you know, this challenges with being at home at the moment, and we're trying to homeschool our kid. Um, it's, it's tricky. But You know, it is also extra time that you get to hang out and, yeah, as you say, you're not commuting and there's so many people that just spend hours on the train or on the bus or in the car or whatever it is. Like, maybe we've worked out that some people can stay at home and and have a little bit more quality time together. Tom, climbing's
0: been a big part of your life for close to two decades now. At what point did you make the shift or or find... The adventure of outdoor climbing, moving out from the gym to to the rock wall.
1: It was pretty early on, actually. I think the the people that kind of got us into climbing, that some family friends, they were outdoor climbers. Um, so they just they're like, oh, you know, there's a, a cliff in the middle of the city at Kangaroo Point in Brisbane, and it's just an old quarry where they've you know built half the old buildings in Brisbane out of the stone. But we just went along there and did a little bit of outdoor climbing. in the Glasshouse Mountains then is only 45 minutes from Brisbane. So we went up there and did a little bit of climbing. And it was just always kind of, it was always about the outdoors, I guess. Um, but, you know, the indoor climbing was just sort of the training and, you know, your little weekly fix until you could get out on the weekend. And yeah, that was always just where it kind of felt natural to be. And and moving to the Blue Mountains was just awesome for that because you know I was enjoying my time in Brisbane, but it sucked having to wait to the weekend to go climbing. You work all week and then you get to the weekend and go, oh no, it's raining! Like I'm gonna have to wait another week. So yeah, kind of was like, you know what? You you only have one opportunity to just you know take the moment and and go have a crack at, at living down in the Blue Mountains for a little while and. So I did that, and yeah, obviously I'm I'm stuck here now. <laughs>
0: Welcome. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> How long does it need to be till um till I can call myself a local?
0: Uh, I think you're well and truly yeah. <laughs> oh sweet. Nine years.
1: Nine years uh, is
0: well so It's funny. It's funny. Um, chatting to a few people who are into climbing around the mountains, and as a kid growing up, we we explored the outdoors and you know a lot of bush bashing and stuff, but. Climbing was one probably a regret that I wish I, I'd built into my childhood was realizing just the the sheer beauty of, of the place we live and the opportunity to explore. So whilst my childhood, I felt like we explored, you realize how much more there is out there to see in this area.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. It takes you to some pretty wild places, even just in the blue mountains and and then across the world, like we've done family trips to, to um to europe the other year and you just go to some different kind of off the off the track kind of places and see some pretty cool things and and then you know my my own travels to south africa and thailand and ecuador and china and all these different places like you just kind of see the the bits off the beaten path it's um it's pretty cool
0: has there been a particular Location overseas, a particular climb that's really resonated with you and really stuck with you?
1: Yeah, there's um, there's this cliff. It's a pretty historic old cliff in France called Sayus. It's in the south of France. And there's a, a route there called Biography that was first bolted in 1989 or 88, I think, um, by this French guy. And it took... What's that probably twelve years or thirteen years until someone was able to climb it from the bottom to top uh, without falling off. And so that was done in two thousand and one, I think, or two thousand and two. Um, and that was the first piece of climbing footage I ever saw, and it turns out it was one of the hardest well at the time it was the hardest route in the world. and that one's always stood out to me as one that I would love to do and I've been over there a couple of times now and given it a go and it's, it's a hard piece of climbing, but I would love to go back there one day and, and knock it off. And yeah, it's just sort of like, you know, I guess we all, in our early years of, you know, a sport or whatever, there's those, those people or those sort of places that kind of are the epitome of, of what it is that we do. And, and for me, that climb is, Sort of like the epitome of what climbing is for me, uh, at, at least at this point in time. So I'd love to go and and try and get that one done. But just that cliff in general is just such a beautiful space. Like it's just right at the foothills of of the um, I think the Pyrenees, and you just kind of sit up there. It's about 400 meter um, vertical gain from the car park up to the base of the cliff. And you just look out across the French countryside and it's just pretty spectacular.
0: Whilst you're up there, do you get the chance or do you give yourself the chance to appreciate the scenery, the view and that kind of realization of where in the world you are?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. It's, it's pretty special to just to be there and especially being there in um, 2018 with Amanda and Audrey, like you just, you realize how fortunate we are you know to to have climbing and and the opportunities that we have in australia to be able to you know have these kind of experiences and yeah it's sometimes you you lose perspective because you're just like i just want to get this climb done and ah you know you can kind of get into a bit of a crazy headspace like we all can in just general day-to-day life and but you just take a step back and listen to the birds and you know the clinking around of the the other people about the place and it's just yeah i think it's pretty important to take that step back and just really appreciate how, how lucky we are whether it's at the cliff or just you know, in our homes
0: This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media.
1: For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday.
0: From a pop culture, I guess, standpoint, Tommy Caldwell has become a, I guess, a bit of a household name in climbing. Well, not even in climbing circles, in more, you know, um, mainstream society, I guess you could say. And in his book and film, The Dawn Wall, it becomes all encompassing. Him spending years and years and years trying to, you know, set this this route and and to climb that wall. Is that something that's innate in climbers? Just that attraction to one particular location and and that desire and push to
1: get it done um I I think it definitely can be for some climbers yeah it's like and I guess you kind of don't really realize it you know I've kind of had that and you, you don't realize that it's taking over until you're fully in it you just you know there's been a few routes over the years that have done that for me and you are just like, Oh yeah, cool. No, I want to do this climb. And in the beginning, it just seems like just something, you know, the next little one that you're doing and you're having a look at. And, and then suddenly it's been a couple of years later and you're fully in it. you're like, Oh wow. Yep. I'm here. Okay. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, through all the, you know, Tommy went through so many different struggles in, in trying to get that climb done both personally Uh, in his own life and then you know the struggles of just climbing what is one of the hardest rock climbs in the world but you just there's something there that makes you want to just keep coming back and whether it's the it kind of is this feeling of safety or the process you know distracts you from whatever else is going on in life which you know helped him for a few years it just you just want to be there and do it. There's something about it and you can't, you can't put your finger on it and it it does different things at different times. You know, it fills different holes at different points in your life, but it's always just there and you just want to do it because there's something about it that just makes you feel fulfilled. Locally, is there a
0: particular climb in the blue mountains that always draws you in and always challenges you?
1: Yeah, I've got this project uh, that I've been trying. I think I I first put the bolts in it in 2014 perhaps and then started trying it properly in about 2017. So it's been three years now and I've spent probably over 100 days trying to climb it and it's what, like 15 moves long. Uh, And gosh, I want to do it and i just keep coming back and i keep falling off and yeah there's just there's something about being there in that space though that just feels so good it's just this quiet little cliff no one's ever there it's just you and your your climbing partner and you just hang out and have a great chat and try and climb the climb from the bottom to the top and you fall off and come down have a cup of tea and a sandwich and have another chat and keep on going through your day but it just there's something about that area and that climb that I'll just keep coming back to and I think I would like to try and get it done this year but we'll see with all the all the self isolation kind of stuff that's going on um but yeah that that climb and that cliff will always have a, a special place for me and-
0: on that climb and others, what is, what are the emotions that you're feeling when you're fully immersed in a
1: climb? How how do you feel? Well, ultimately you want to try and find that kind of feeling of, um, flow, I guess, uh, you know, you, you just let your body take over and, and you don't have any of the external bollocks that's going on, uh, running through your brain. But something you know that's really a hard place to get to, uh, and but one that you know you're constantly chasing. But it's hard to try and you know, if you're trying to push yourself, it, it's hard to get the best out of yourself when there's too much head noise going on. You're going to try and keep it nice and quiet and and find kind of this, I guess, meditative state, uh, and try and just be calm concentrate on your breathing and and keep on sort of just knocking off the next move and doing the next thing right i think that's actually an interesting thing with climbing is that it's you really need to be there and just have a look at you know what is the very next step ultimately i want to get to the end and that's in the back of my mind but it can't be at the forefront because as soon as it's there it's taken over and um you lose concentration and suddenly you've, you've fallen off because you've lost sight of the immediate task. And I guess that kind of flows into the rest of your life really is, you know, yep. I want to be here in five, ten years time or, you know, whatever it is, this is how I want my life to be set up, but I need to just do this one simple task first. And then I need to do this one and then this one. And if you look at it in those little pieces, it, it seems far less daunting than the entirety of the, the whole, you know, your your forearms can be completely cooked and your fingertips are burning and you know, you're only a couple of meters up the climb, but it's just about just do that next move. Whereas, you know, you you look 20 meters above yourself, you go, gosh, I'm never going to make it, but yeah, it's just, just do the next little bit, just do the next little bit.
0: And I guess you can't afford to lose sight of what's in front of you because especially for those listeners who aren't familiar with, with the climbing, you could be hanging 50 meters up literally with a couple of, you know, a couple of fingertips holding you up, Like you cannot lose sight of what's in front of you, right?
1: Yeah, completely. Yeah. Like I I don't do anything where I'm not tied in, so I'm always being really safe. Um, So yeah, it's like fingertips, but also a rope and a bit of equipment that can hold up, you know, the weight of a couple of cars, but, Um, yeah you you can just slip off and then you know you're gonna have to wait for a while to to rest up and go again and yeah there are circumstances where you can get injured Um, yeah you know it's the same as driving a car like you oh you know I'm going on holidays to the Gold Coast I really want to get there but gotta have a look at this set of traffic lights and make sure that no one's coming through the red light so that I can turn out safely and
0: You touched on, I guess, the safety element. A quick side note: when you see an athlete such as Alex Honnold who's taken on the free solo climbing, um, you know, doing Yosemite without any ropes, without any connection to the wall, do you see that and and look at it in awe, or is it more a bit of, you know, that's a bit stupid? Like, what's your mentality towards that?
1: Oh gosh, like I I think if anyone hasn't seen the movie about him free solo you need to go and watch it it'll give you the absolute heebie-jeebies like it's just incredible and he's such an incredible athlete i think it's really easy to perhaps before you've seen that movie to just see a photo or a short film clip of him up there on the side of the wall with absolutely nothing in his several hundred meters above the ground and you go gosh that's reckless that's a daredevil that's someone that's got a death wish but you watch that video and dive a little deeper into what he's doing and he's incredibly methodical he's incredibly calculated with how he goes about that stuff and you see he actually he truly loves life and wants to be there forever and he's got a really solid head on his shoulders and I'd, I'd definitely argue that he's, he's safer than perhaps a lot of the climbers that go out with all of the climbing gear to keep them safe because he knows what he is doing. He's calculated everything that could go wrong. He has so much margin for error. Like he's, he's there and he, he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think that's it's quite an inspiring approach, really. Like he's, he's so prepared. For what's going on. It's definitely not something that I want to do. <laughs> it's um it's a step too far for me. And he's got a brain that just works in a way that not many other people's do. But yeah, it's it's pretty inspiring in in the way that it is to to see it. And I yeah, definitely people if you haven't seen Free Solo, go and watch it. I think it won an Oscar for best documentary last year. So it's proper, proper good. Tom, sports climbing
0: um, was set to feature in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, uh, which we know has been postponed until July next year. What is sports climbing and what are the disciplines associated with it?
1: Yeah, so the, the competition climbing uh, in the world is there's kind of three, the three main disciplines. There's speed climbing, there's sport climbing, and then there's bouldering. So the speed climbing, that's a set route that has been the exact same route for the last, I think, 10 years. Uh, and it's just a race. So those the set route is set all around the world uh, in all sorts of different climbing gyms. And it is the exact same thing, uh, like a tennis court, basically. And it's you start at the bottom, get to the top as quick as you can, and you have a race with someone else. Um, the sport climbing side is where you're tied in with a rope and you climb up to about 20 meters of the climbing wall. Uh, and they set the route to be really difficult and maybe only one person in the whole competition can make it to the top of the wall. Uh, and you get, if there's 50 holds on the climb, if you get up to hold 45, you get 45 points. If you go from 45 and you're trying to climb, you know, move up to hold 46 and you fall off, you get 46 plus if you hit for hold 46, you get 46 points and yeah, you get ranked through that, um, that kind of way. Uh, and then in the bouldering that's up to about four or five meters high and you get given four different boulder problems and you get five minutes, five minutes on each boulder problem. Uh, you can fall off as many times as you like, but the aim is to try and get from the bottom to the top without falling off within the five minutes.
0: And do you uh, know the different uh, routes that they've put out before you get there or is it you rock up and it's all a surprise?
1: Yeah, it's all a surprise. So uh, the, the speed climbing is the only one that you know. Uh, and then the, the lead climbing or the sport climbing and the bouldering, always different routes. So you'll come out just before your time to climb. You come out and you get six minutes to have a look at the, the route along with the other competitors. You look up, you try and decipher what you can, what you can from the ground and try and work out a sequence. And then you all go back inside and you come out one at a time and um, try and get as far as you can um, without having watched anyone else being on it. So it's a really, really great kind of um, exercise in, in problem solving in a high pressure situation. Cause there's, you know, the crowds and the lights and everyone's watching and you've got to try and keep a calm mind and decipher what's going on and, and access your your toolbox to try and work out how to make your way to the top.
0: It reminds me a bit of the, you know, the old high school exam where you're trying to, to guess what questions are going to come out and you want to study according to that. How do you go about training for, for events where you're not going to know the exact uh, is it more just preparing yourself to, to the physical peak?
1: Yeah, pretty much. It's um, it's definitely spend a lot of time physically preparing, but also mentally. Uh, you can be the strongest person in the entire world, but if your brain isn't at that level, you, you're not going to be able to express fully what you can, you know, physically do. Um, there's a huge. Um, huge mental component that I think perhaps a lot of people don't quite give credit for, but if you can keep calm, if you can, they talk about soft eyes. Uh, so when, you know, you're in a bit of a stressful situation you're feeling a bit pumped and, you know, it feels like your hands slipping off. You've got to be able to have these soft eyes and look, take a step back and take a breath and just go, okay, cool. You know, what am I meant to do here? You know, what has the roots that are intended for me to try and do to get through this section. And if you can keep that calm, calm headspace, then, um, you know, invariably you'll, you'll be able to try and get through that, um, that section and hopefully maybe get to a little rest and, and keep on trucking.
0: We were talking before the show that um, the, the qualification was postponed from March um, and it might be the end of this year or early next year. How excited are you about the prospect of potentially representing Australia at the the 2021 Olympics?
1: Oh, it'd be a dream come true. Like as a a sport mad kid uh, that I was when I was little, white and still to this day, like it'd just be be incredible to be able to be an Olympian. Like that was just, I was eight years old when I saw the Sydney Olympic Games opening ceremony and I, I had no idea what the Olympics were at that point. But just seeing all these people in their track suits, just smiling, happy, waving around to this stadium full of people and countries all over the world, and at that point, you know, there's all these countries I'd never even heard of, and you just like, I remember asking mum and dad, like, what is this? And like, oh, it's the Olympic Games. It's a you know, two weeks of sporting competition where they do running races and high jump and football and tennis and all this different stuff. And you're like, Whoa, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. So yeah, it was always a bit of a bummer that, you know, I did all these sports and I, you know, I was pretty okay at them, but was never going to be an Olympic runner or, or whatever. Um, and then to find a sport that finally, you know, I'm pretty good at. <laughs> uh, and it's not an Olympic sport. That was like, ah, oh, well, you know, the climbing means more to me than than that. And then um, when it did get announced that it was going to be a part of the Olympics, it's like, oh wow, you know that's actually something that you know a dream that can come true. So yeah, to have that opportunity is pretty special.
0: How have you managed? Um, I guess the work, life, climbing, and, and Olympic training balance. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot to, to to keep going. How how have you managed that balance?
1: Not particularly well, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it, it's pretty massive, yeah. Between trying to work to pay off the mortgage, um, to maintain a healthy relationship with your partner and your daughter, um, and also with yourself, and then to train harder than I've ever trained before. And you know, a lot of the training involved driving down to Sydney a couple of times a week. So from my house, it's at least an hour and a half's drive, uh, and then Obviously, an hour and a half home, like it's a lot of, it's a lot of time training and um, traveling, and you know, not doing things that perhaps are, are moving you forward in life in a in a sense. Um, but it's kind of, it's kind of fun now that you know that it has been postponed, so we get to have another go at trying to get it right this time. <laughs> um, so yeah, we learn a lot of different things in in what we can do to, to make this process better. And there are lessons that you're going to take into the rest of our life as well, not just, you know, training for the Olympic games. Um, but I think we learned a lot about, you know, like what we keep, I guess, coming back to is like, you know, how do we set our life up to be happy? You know, how, what are the things that are important to us and how do we prioritize making those things a, a central part of, what we do and you know for my partner and I it's being active and healthy and we want to be able to do that more so how do we set that up to be able to have access to those opportunities each day whether it's just going for a run for 30 minutes in the morning or having time to to cook a dinner that is really you know healthy and makes us feel good.
0: Tom you've got a really strong sense of self-awareness and also I guess empathy for others Do you think that's helped you overcome adversity both recently and, you know, and earlier on, um, recognizing your emotions, both the good and the bad. Do you think that's helped you through?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I think, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty important to, to have that perspective or at least have someone that you can kind of rely on and chat to about, you know, when you're feeling a bit blue or, or whatever else. Um, yeah it's really i think good to to be able to to work through those emotions because you know there's, there's so much that comes up in life um, that can be hard and it's it's pretty important to to feel like you can um, not be taken over by those feelings because I think all of us can think back to a time where you know the the weight of the world kind of feels pretty oppressive and and like, you know, we're never going to be able to perhaps get out of it. But um, yeah, to have have a sense of where you want to be going and what you want to be as a person um, and people that are around you that are supportive of that is is really healthy and, and definitely something that will get you through some, some tough times.
0: Tom, do you believe that in life you find yourself or you create yourself? And what I mean by that is do you feel that Uh, the path is already set out for you and you just have to find it or can you shape your life with every single decision you make?
1: Um, Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Maybe a little bit of both, I guess. Like I I guess we all kind of come out and we all have our, um, you know, who who we are as a person. I kind of believe is sort of there in a sense, you know, we're all born with a, a certain makeup of chemicals and everything and, you know, we're kind of attracted to different things just from from an early age. Uh, But then, you know, some of those things that you may be attracted to aren't super healthy. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, perhaps you got to kind of find your own healthy path and a sense of who you are and discover, you know, who you are right there at the bottom of it and rather than chasing a a short-term kind of fix. Um, But, yeah, I definitely believe that you know, if you, if you want to make a, a big change in your life, then you got to go off and, and make that change uh, and really follow who you want to be. Uh, and it's easy, I guess, you know, if you, um, you know, Oh, this is just who I am. You know, I'm just the kind of person that always you know, has these troubles or, you know, whatever I can't, you know, deal with these situations. It's just who I am yeah, sometimes you need to listen to yourself, but sometimes you just need to self to, you know, move that person out of the way and yeah, keep on trucking through to something that is actually um, what you want to do. Cause you know, th- there's not much progress that comes out of staying in your comfort zone.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. I think, ex- you know, expanding our comfort zones and just pushing the boundaries from time to time can be very refreshing and, and energizing as well. And Tom have you taken the time i guess to to stop and reflect on what has been a pretty incredible you know past nine or ten years since you' moved to the blue mountains i guess the the family the travel you know the olympic uh training have you have you taken that time to stop and look back
1: yeah, yeah, you do get that opportunity sometimes and you you find yourself in a quiet moment just kind of reflecting on on everything um and it is it is pretty funny like it's I guess probably, you know, one of those times that people do that is, you know, coming up to a birthday or or something like that, or the end of a year, you know, those milestones that are just kind of there and you go, wow, like, you know, there's a lot that's happened recently. And yeah, that idea that, you know, it's nearly 10 years that I've been here and I, I reflect on what I've kind of done and it feels like a blink, but when you start kind of listing the trips and the, the opportunities and the different things that you've done. It's like, Oh wow, that's, it's pretty cool. And makes you motivated to, to do even more and fit even more in for the next 10 years.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great, great perspective. Um, and before we do wrap up Tom, again, a big, big thanks for your time. Do you have any particular, I guess, channel, social media, website that you'd like to plug uh, for the listeners to find out more and to follow your journey?
1: Yeah, so um, I guess just on Instagram, um, I'm Tom underscore O'Halloran. And uh, I've got a website, tomohalloran.net.au, which I post little bits and pieces of writing and stuff like that on there sometimes. Um, And my partner and I have got a rock climbing podcast uh, called Baffle Days. So if anyone's keen on uh, checking that out, uh, if you want to hear a bit of climbing talk and uh, we're starting to get some nutrition articles up there. Cause my partner's a sport dietitian. Um, so just general life nutrition and, and sporting nutrition stuff there as well. Um, yeah. Go check out baffle days uh, on Instagram and baffledays.com.au. Excellent. Tom, again, a big, big thank you for your openness through the
0: conversation Wishing you and the family all the best. Uh what what are you most excited about, I guess, for the for the next twelve months? Uh,
1: I'd be pretty excited to just get outdoors and spend some time with friends and family, actually. Um yeah, the the little things. Uh yeah, and I guess just uh exploring new opportunities in life as well. I think it's really easy to see this this COVID thing and and the bushfires and all that as a bit of a wrecking ball through your life. But I think they can be turned into a positive if you if you take the right approach. Uh, so yeah, exploring some some new new territory as well.
0: Excellent. Tom, a big, big thanks for being part of the Passion and Perspective podcast, mate. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Jonathan. It's awesome um, to sit down and have a chat.
0: Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender.